Support for this episode of 9 to Thrive HR is brought to you by the International Coach Federation. The International Coach Federation is the leading global organization for coaches with over 22,000 members in more than 100 countries worldwide. ICF is dedicated to advancing the coaching profession by setting high ethical standards, providing independent certification, and building a worldwide network of credentialed coaches. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of 9 to Thrive HR, a podcast produced by the Human Capital Institute, where we discuss some of the most pressing issues facing talent management today. We use this podcast format to help surface ideas and solutions to those problems by speaking to experts and practitioners in the field. My name is Andrew Bateman. I'm your host for today. We're thrilled to welcome Kate Philpott, Director of Sales Training at Getty Images, to our program. And let's get started more about you, Kate. Can you talk to us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing now, as well as how you've gotten there? Uh, Yes, Andrew, sure. So my career has actually been largely about sales. So for many years, I worked for uh, Mars Confectionery. I worked for GlaxoSmithKline, always in a frontline sales role. But I've been interested for many years in the development of salespeople and what makes a high-performing sales individual a high performer and so in recent years I focus much more on training on capability development and in my current role um, coaching and that is exactly why we've invited you to the program Kate because I, I think it goes hand in hand with the research that HCI and ICF uh, recently released which was all about building a coaching culture with managers and leaders and obviously we've seen in uh-huh. that research that the, that the large the largest uh, investment for organizations across the globe is in building capability for managers and leaders to use coaching skills. And it sounds like that's the type mm-hmm. of thing that you're focused on. So I'll ask you, what are some of the fundamental challenges that are uh, in- inhibiting organizations from making this a reality for managers and leaders to use coaching skills in their day-to-day? I think for a lot of managers, well, I think for the majority, it's more about lack of will than lack of skill. And, and by that, I don't mean that they they don't want to. It's that time continues to be the presenting issue. I'm hearing almost on a daily basis, managers say, yeah, I'd love to coach, but I don't have time. And there is inbuilt into that an assumption that if I spend time coaching, it's going to take ages to get the person in front of me to do the things that I would like them to do. And so it's just a lot quicker, I'm paraphrasing the manager, to tell them what I want them to do and have them get on with it. And of course, you know, it's it's a bit of a leap of faith to get managers to see that the investment of time in coaching, while yes, may, it may take a little longer in the short term, is going to reap longer term dividends with somebody who proves themselves then to be able to think for themselves, able to solve their own problems, able to take the initiative and ownership for um, topics or subjects or challenges that you know might, they might otherwise have come to their line manager for help with. Yeah, I, I can't agree more there. And I think when we talk a little bit uh, about coach training, uh, when we think about building internal capability for uh, a strong coaching culture and getting getting folks to understand what, what coaching is and what coaching isn't and when are the appropriate times to utilize coaching skills. But I'm really interested in something that we talked about earlier, Kate, when we uh, thought through that dynamic. And, and uh, you brought up how critical it is to also, uh, you know, 
determine expectations for the recipients of coaching and, and the direct reports, really, of those managers that are using coaching skills. So what, in your opinion, needs to be communicated to those folks? Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. So the, I think a lot of times, without clear articulation of what the coaching process is going to be, both from a coach's standpoint and from the coachee's standpoint, there is a tendency for the people receiving coaching to, to see it as some kind of a remedial activity. The number of people I come across who, you know, define coaching as, oh, I must be really bad at my job is really surprising to me. And so, you know, what I've been working on very hard in my current role is for anybody that receives coaching to say, this is not a bad thing. Please don't see it as something that is negative. Actually, the business sees you as somebody with potential to develop. And this process is designed to help you do that. So I think it's really important that coaches understand that it's a two-way process, that the organization has belief in that individual's ability to come up with the solutions to their own problems, and that it is a means by which that individual will grow and develop as a professional, if we're talking about coaching in a professional scenario. And uh, I definitely uh, agree that that, uh, that that development piece and using it as a development tool is really important to try to uh, get buy-in um, into, the, into the program. Now, Kata, I want to I put you on the spot a little bit here. So I know that the answer is probably both, but I, I would just love to get your thoughts <laughs> on this. So if you were given a choice between developing coaching skills or implementing a coaching model, which would you choose? Well, actually, it wouldn't be both. I, my my choice would be develop coaching skills every every day of the week. the The thing about the coaching model is it's useful for the I guess the less experienced coach. It's a guide to steer a conversation. But fundamentally, and it's what I say to everybody that I'm teaching to coach, coaching is just about a quality conversation. It's about going into a situation without preconceptions, without judgment. Um, I really love a, a phrase that stuck with me from my coach training, which I completed last year, which was that the role of the coach is to be an empathic provocateur. You know, in other words, to challenge the coachee, to, and particularly if they are of fixed mindset and, you know, maybe refusing to see possibilities. And I think it's really important that you have that ability and to my mind, you know, you can learn all the coaching models that you like. If you're not able to have that kind of open conversation and if you aren't able to put to one side any preconceptions or prejudgments that you might have or that temptation to jump to a solution, then the chances are you're going to struggle as a coach. Uh, so, Kate, do you believe that that, that everyone uh, has the ability to develop coaching skills? Is that something that's feasible or is it the type of thing where you should do a little bit of strategic identification of who in the organization really sort of has the capability to do this in, innately and, and then can be um, built up into being one of the you know top tier you know coach practitioners uh, within the organization? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I've been pondering this lately because, and in fact, it was an essay, one of the essays that I wrote for my coach training was about the role of the line manager as a coach. Uh, you know, and there is an inbuilt ambiguity in that role. You are both a line manager, and you are a leader of that team, and you are 
well, hopefully you're also a coach of the individuals within that team. But, you know, some of the principles, the ICF principles that you referenced at the beginning of this conversation around confidentiality, around um, letting the, the coachee come up with the problem that they wish to solve, don't actually sit very comfortably with the role of the line manager, who might be the person who defines that there's a problem in the first place. So I've started to come to the conclusion, and this is not completely clear in my own mind, but I've started to arrive at the conclusion that there's a different kind of coaching that a line manager does to, you know, to that coach practitioner um, person that that you just referenced, who I think can be um, separated and distanced from the situation, who can be the sort of dispassionate observer, and actually, as as in my role. I'm doing a lot of that coach practitioner coaching with people who are having conversations with me that they wouldn't have with their line manager. So I think it's both. Yeah, I I would agree with you there. And I I definitely see where that ambiguity uh, requires some clarification. And that's probably a good reason why an organization ought to explore a blend of different coaching modalities so that you can kind of uh, have some... uh, you know, some some experience and some some wisdom from the certified coach practitioner in navigating some of those uh, those murky waters. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, yes, I, I would absolutely. I think you know one of the challenges for for many organisations is to define the coaching baseline, and you know from that you can then define your aspirations. You know, it may be that for some organisations they just want everybody to know how to use the grow model. And that might be fine, but you know there may be others who go. Actually, well, we we do we use Grow Model. We use that well. It's quite effective. But there are individuals within the organisation who merit a different kind of coaching. Particularly, I guess you know if you think about it, senior leaders. And and one thing about about senior leadership, and I think this is something that that in a lot of our research and in a lot of our sort of uh, secondary interviews that we conducted around this uh, concept. Uh, we found that, that in most cases, this wasn't a hard sell to senior leaders in terms of why the coaching is important and how, how a coaching culture can help uh, in performance and engagement. Um, but I, I'm curious if you have any insight on, uh, on organizations that might not be in that boat that, uh, that are having difficulty trying to sell this concept of a coaching culture uh, to, to senior mm-hmm. leaders that might be resistant to that idea. Do you have anything that you might share for folks that find themselves in that situation? I do think that in lots of ways, it, it's very easy for senior leaders to say, yes, of course I support coaching. Yes, off you go, do it. The, the problem I think arises where you have senior leaders who think that coaching is something that somebody else does. Um, and, you know, sort of implied in that is that it's not necessarily something that they do. It might be something that they receive, but I do think that oftentimes there's a disconnect between, as I say, you know, what what those senior people are doing themselves and what they're expecting of their people. And I think in the most successful organizations, the coaching culture is set right from the very top you know, with people who both receive coaching and see the benefits of receiving it, but also who are reasonably skilled coaches themselves and coach their people, you know, who may in themselves be very senior. And I think only really when you've got that level of buy-in from the very top can you build a, you know, a truly high-performing 
coaching culture. And it's kind of like he said at the top, that that's where that skill and, and will gap uh, resides. Well, well, yes. And of course, you know, like a lot of people will recognize, the more senior an individual is, the more challenging the conversation then becomes to explain to them that maybe their coaching capability is not where it needs to be. Yes. And again, another reason why it might make sense to have somebody that is unaffiliated and unfettered uh, Uh from the organization that's communicating that message. And I I think that... uh, that uh, and then that executive uh, coach practitioner uh, may be someone that can uh, help sort of uh, translate those those messages or those results into somebody that's has a more internal role. So again, that blend of modalities is yeah. really important. Yes, absolutely. And as, you know, I think that most organizations would recognize that the kind of coaching that a senior executive would receive would very well likely be different to, you know, a more junior person in the organization. But the benefit, to your point, of that executive coach at the, you know, senior vice president level is that they can then start a conversation about, so, hey, how does coaching work in this organization? You know, you seem to be getting some value from this conversation. What about the rest of the people in your business? Do they have the same kind of opportunities? Because if they don't, then how do you, senior executive, make your vision a reality? How are you going to get people in your business to take ownership for making this thing that you've told me you want to achieve happen? So so lastly, Kate, I'll, I'll wrap this up just by asking you again, you know, with, with someone like you that's that's seen this uh, in action and, and that's sort of working um, this this uh, and fighting the good fight, so to speak, is this something that <laughs> is uh, you're finding it to be encouraging and you're seeing it move the needle in your organization? Uh, yes. But I would be I would be exaggerating if I said that it was a, a an easy or a quick fix. I think you know businesses are increasingly under time pressure. You know, particularly in a commercial organisation where every second of every day seems to count, or not even seems to does count, and our days are jammed probably more fully than they have ever been jammed before. That issue about time is you know is an ever bigger deal. But I do, you know, I think as with any learning initiative, you can't just deliver one training and think that that's going to change behavior because it doesn't. Anybody that subscribes to the 70-20-10 principles of of learning, whether you buy the percentages or not, will know that, you know, any learning actually only happens largely on the job. So if we're talking about coaching, I can teach managers all the models that I like, but if they don't then commit to go and put them into practice – then, you know, I may as well have saved my breath. Well, we're glad that, uh, that you definitely shared uh, the story with us. And I think that it's, it's one that um, I know you're not alone. And uh, I also know that it's the type of, uh, the type of thing that um, HCI really um, wants to help support uh, organizations um, like yours, Kate, that are, that are in this to try to, uh, to sort of help uh, develop the, the organizational culture into one that's more uh, sustainable for um, for the sort of future of work as we're seeing it. So, Kate, it's been a real pleasure uh, speaking with you. And we, Likewise. We, we really thank you for all of the time today. You're very welcome, Andrew. Bye-bye for now. Take care. So we would like to thank each and every one of you for tuning in and encourage you to subscribe to this podcast if you've enjoyed what you've heard today. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Smart Radio, and on the YouTube channel HCI Talent. 
Lastly, one more big thank you to the International Coach Federation. Without their generous support, HCI would not be able to deliver great content like this. If you're interested in learning more about building a coaching culture, you can find more resources at hci.org. For 9 to Thrive HR and all of HCI, I'm Andrew Bateman.